from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. So happy you could join us today. We have a really interesting episode. I want to start by sharing a few interesting data points that came from a recent poll that was done by Dewdrops, which is an edibles company, and Harris Polls. And listen to these statistics. So 71% of parents who have consumed cannabis in the past year say that they are or would be comfortable talking to their kids about cannabis use. 71%. And also 71% of parents who consume cannabis in the past year would rather have their kids catch them consuming cannabis than having sex. So, okay, so that's all good news. Interesting, interesting. But almost a quarter of parents who have consumed cannabis in the past year have not talked to their kids about their cannabis use. So there is a disconnect here. Parents are consuming cannabis, but they don't want to talk to their kids about it. So we know parents are smoking cannabis, but how do they talk to their kids about it? And to help me unpack this topic, I am joined by Danielle Simone Brand, who is the author of the book Weed Mom, and Rabbi James Kahn, who is executive director of Holistic Industries, a cannabis MSO. Rabbi James is also known for his work helping to normalize cannabis Welcome to you both. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you, Jonathan. Absolutely. Great to be here with you both. First of all, how did you guys meet? I think I reached out to Danielle looking for resources. I mean, I'm not just, what was the the, the hair club for men, right? I'm not just the the owner. I'm also, uh, but yeah, whatever he said. Not only am I um, someone who works in the cannabis industry, but I'm a parent of a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. And um, you'd think somebody who has worked in the cannabis industry for almost a decade would have no problem talking cannabis with their kids. And in in some ways, I think I'm probably uh, pretty advanced and and more along than a lot of folks, but I still really struggle. And I'm still looking for resources and just folks to dialogue about this because just even having the topic, having the conversation can be difficult. So I heard about this woman who wrote an amazing book. I picked up the book and I made a a call and see if I can, if I can uh, touch base and here we are. So it's great. I'm so glad you found each other because you're both talking about such an important topic. So how do you work? To, do you work together in some way or you just kind of share ideas? Tell us about the sort of nature of your relationship, your work relationship. Well, we're having conversations, really. Um, you know, we, we'd like to promote this, um, you know, the awareness among parents about the ways that that we can responsibly communicate with kids about cannabis. And I think we have this shared interest in just educating parents and getting the word out there that we can normalize this plant in a responsible way. So, you know, we're sort of behind the scenes having conversations. Um, You know, we're hoping to have those conversations in more public ways too. Um, Obviously, you know, through podcasts like this um, and articles that we, you know, that we co-write together. So, you know, I think that it's just beginning, honestly. And I happen to work for, as you said, a a multi-state operator, a cannabis company that operates in, um, what is it, nine states in the District of Columbia. Uh, We have two dozen stores. We have a lot of customers and a lot of them are parents. So one of the ways that we that we're trying to one something we're offering in addition to cannabis and cannabis education is um, resources around t- stuff like this, like talking to your parents, um, to actually talking to your parents about cannabis, older parents. <laughs> yeah, that can be that can be tricky. 
Unless you have my parents who are like potheads. Yes, but yeah. yeah. And also talking to your kids. So it, it's a resource because, you know, this doesn't come with an instruction booklet. And there's no dispensary that hands you an instruction booklet on, you know, how to, or a doctor uh, when you get your medical cannabis uh, card or in a state where it's adult use. Again, no instructions. Yep. So what is the, what do you think are some of the reasons that parents are so reticent to talk to their kids about cannabis? Well, um, some of the reasons definitely have to do with just the lingering stigmas, the longtime illegality, the fact that it's illegal still federally in, in a lot of states. And I talk to parents from legal states, from prohibition states all over the place. And parents are utilizing cannabis even in places where it's not legal, but they are really afraid to talk about it, you know, for real reasons, obviously, right? For legal reasons, you know, employment reasons, maybe child custody, things like that. So, you know, it's it's still very tricky for parents. You can be subject to CPS being called on you if you are a really open can of parent in a place where that's not acceptable or if somebody has a personal gripe against you. So this is something that you know needs to be approached with a lot of caution. And so I think parents rightfully are a little worried about it. And you know, I think even people who benefit from cannabis have also internalized the stigmas and the shame from the past. And so maybe they're struggling with their own shame, even though they know that it's that's a, it's a wellness tool that's helping them. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's really me. I mean, I really, I am so surprised again, after 10 years in the industry that when I tell people I use cannabis, it so often feels like some sort of admission, <laughs> like rather than a conversation or, or an interrogation uh, rather than a conversation. And, I, and I, I think it kind of relates back to a bigger reality that parents face with their kids, which is that we often present a sanitized version of ourselves to our children. Right. We want our kids to see us as heroes, as the folks who know who know what's happening and that are in control and that don't need help and that we're the helpers. So you don't have to worry, kid. At least I I tried it. You know, that's something that I tried it to. Um, I don't want my kids to have to feel anxious in this very anxiety provoking world that we're living in. And I think there is a desire to just look perfect. And we're not. You know, we're, we're, we're just as challenged as everybody. And I think recognizing that that mama can need some help sometimes or that dad really benefits from de-stressing with an edible or a puff of a, a vape pen, it's humbling and it's humanizing. Um, it's, and it's probably really for the best, but it was hard for me because I think it challenged that kind of that valiant father who's got it all together. The other problem I see is that kids have a stigma against cannabis, no matter, you know, and again, I live in California, which is, you know, a progressive state and there's cannabis stores on every corner. And so the kids are very used to it, but still, and I don't really know where this comes from. They have a nervousness and anxiousness about cannabis. Like it's legal here, but they still, a friend of mine told me recently that he, he admitted to his like eight-year-old that, that he smokes cannabis. And the eight-year-old said, well, so you're addicted to cannabis? Like there was an association of like drug addiction with this plant. So I think what we're also doing here is we got to get in early, right? To sort of at least get it in the kid's head that this is not necessarily a bad thing. This is, you know, use responsibly. This is a helps people. It's medicine. Yeah. I think that smoking piece was really tough for me with my kids, like trying at what age. And I think this is really a question for a family therapist or a child psychologist, but at what age can a child differentiate between smoking being bad? Because it is bad. Smoking cigarettes is, is incredibly dangerous. Um, but smoking cannabis has not been shown to be incredibly dangerous. It certainly can be an irritant. There's probably healthier ways to consume cannabis, but it's not smoking cigarettes. But for kids to kind of to really kind of nail it into their heads. Do not smoke cigarettes. I mean, that's what killed grandma. She died from lung cancer. And yet 
it's okay that I'm smoking. It's a disconnect that I think they have to, there's a certain age where they have to really, they have to hit to be able to understand the two are different. Do you feel there's an age when you really should, because now I want to talk about the conversation that you can have with your kids. And is there an age when it's appropriate to start talking to them about it? What's your experience with that? So my experience from talking to lots of moms um, around the country who are cannabis consumers is the right age is now. <laughs> if it, As long as you feel comfortable having that conversation, even if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think now is the right time. If you arm yourself with a few facts and, and you know, prepare yourself a little bit. I think that, you know, there are different ways to talk about it quite obviously with little ones. And, you know, obviously you don't really need to address it with really, really little ones. But once kids are kind of aware of what you're up to and the smells around them and things like that. I think it's worth having a conversation. A lot of parents of little ones just say, this is my medicine. This is mama's medicine. I'm going to go take it in the next room. I'll be back in five minutes and we can play. Really, really simple. But you know, if the, co- the conversation gets more complex as they get older, and there's a lot more to say, obviously, to older elementary and middle school and certainly high school students when it comes to thinking about their own exposure, their own you know potential use one day. So you know, I think that it's not too late wherever you're at. Like, this is a good time to start talking about it. And it's not a, you know, let's sit down and have this one big conversation about cannabis and here's all you need to know, blah, you know, <laughs> we're not going to vomit facts on our kids, but, <laughs> but honestly, to just bring it up in conversation on a regular basis, drop little facts, you know, talk about how you use it, talk about signs you see in the world or, you know, things they might've heard at school or from the D.A.R.E. program, which is still alive and well in a lot of places and often spouting the same kind of prohibitionist stuff that we heard as kids. So in my view, it's like, there's no, there's no wrong time to start. Amen. Amen, Danielle. I mean, really, I think it's actually earlier, the better in the sense that, but with the caveat that it's an age appropriate conversation, you don't need to give your kids more than they can handle. And it could actually backfire, but planting seeds. I really found myself planting seeds early on, you know, referring to the drugstore, uh, making sure that they had other, that the word drug didn't just mean heroin, that they recognized that ibuprofen was a drug, that medicines are drugs, that, that it's not a bad word per se, that it's a neutral word. It's how it's used and it can be incredibly beneficial. So I think there's a conversation that's right for every age. And it really begins with asking your kids, what do they think about cannabis and, and, and checking in with them? That's a good place to start rather than kind of giving them a- At least if they're old enough to have that conversation. Again, even earlier than that, I was planting seeds and setting it up much like Danielle as medicine. Because my family was operating a, a, a mom and pop, or still is a mom and pop dispensary in DC, which the first thing you see when you walk in are a picture of my grandparents who both really benefited from cannabis and, and didn't have consistent access to it um, when they were alive. And so that story is kind of part of our family story. And we tell the story much like how we fought for, um, we have family stories of fighting for, for civil rights, for reproductive rights. We also have a family story of standing up and fighting for access to cannabis, that this is a, a medicine that was kept and has been kept from people and that it's wrong. And when something's wrong, you got to stand up and say so. And I want to put a pin in that and come back to that because you, as you mentioned before we got on tape here, your father was a ra- is or was a rabbi. He is. Is a rabbi. Your father is a rabbi. They haven't kicked us out Yay. yet. I'm glad he's still with us. Your father is a rabbi. And that's fascinating to me that you're a rabbi as well. And, and I want to talk about that because I think that might be surprising to many people listening. But back to this conversation. So there are different conversations at different ages, right? So when they're younger, I like this approach of maybe asking what they think of it kind of coming to them on where they're at with it. And also, Danielle, you mentioned saying mommy has to go do her medicine right now and kind of leaving the room. But I think of like, well, mommy sometimes sips red wine in front of the kids. Like, is there something about 
hiding the use of cannabis that still kind of unconsciously stigmatizes it in a way. Like not saying that you should like do a bong hit in front of your kid, but maybe there's a way to kind of normalize the the consumption. I think that there is. And it's, you know, it's tricky. Like we're in this new territory, right? Um, And, you know, I, I speak to different parents who have really varying levels of comfort. You know, some say it's like something they never see or smell, but they know it's there. Right. And then some people say, I actually just, I, I consume and I'm in a ventilated space. And if they happen to walk by, I just say like, be there in a minute. So there are very few, I'm going to say, I, I've spoken to no parents who are completely, you know, have no boundaries around their cannabis use with their kids. Everybody does have appropriate boundaries, but you know, those boundaries do vary a little bit based on the family, the family dynamic, the family situation, the states you live in. You know, I speak to moms who are in the cannabis industry who are like, yes, we're growing it outside. We have, you know, cannabis at various stages of development in our kitchen. It's obviously part of our whole lives and integrated well. Our kids are well aware of it, but they're, you know, obviously educated to not consume until they're ready, et cetera, things like that. So it just, you know, it varies so much. I personally, I'll say that I have changed a bit on this. I have gone from feeling like I needed to hide it completely while talking about it (laughs) to um, actually showing them, you know, buds and saying, this is what it smells like. This is what it looks like. This is how to recognize it. You know, it's a plant. Like this is key. It is a plant. And here are the ways that I, that I consume it. And this is how it helps me. It helps me with headaches. It helps, you know, I get migraines. It helps me sleep better so that I can actually wake up refreshed and be a good parent to you. You know, it helps me slow down at the end of the day and transition from work to home life, you know, all these things. And, and that's, those are act real benefits that they can recognize. So personally, I think it does not seem to be completely out of sight and hidden away. Yet there's some kind of balance where we need to have boundaries too. The only thing I would add is that I I see it as a teaching opportunity when I'm using cannabis, especially when I'm using cannabis that's not smokable. You know, I like them to see the topicals, the the patches, the form factors that they're familiar what medicine looks like. They, you know, they're they're young, especially they have been young. They're getting older. (laughs) So sad they get old. Chagrin, yeah. But to show them something that looks that comes in a box like this, this looks like medicine versus you know a bong. I think it's an easier place to start. So how old are your guys' kids? Daniel, how how old are your are your kids? Very similar ages to Rabbi James, actually nine and twelve. Nine and 12. Okay. So my kids are 11 and 16 and it's a definitely a different conversation with each kid. And if you haven't really planted the seeds when they're young and they start to get like 16, like my son, who's not only 16, but is also in a rock band and is a big musician and like all the signs are there that he's going to be around a lot of marijuana in his life. I live in Los Angeles. The conversation I have with him, I don't want to get into my conversations. I don't know if it was right, but I'm curious about the conversation you have when kids are starting to get at the age when they're going to be exposed to a lot of cannabis and be offered a lot of cannabis. You know, I have some friends who are in the industry who are like, I would rather if they're, I know they're going to do cannabis. So if they do it, I would rather them just do it with me. Like I'd like to show like I'd like to guide them through rather than having some person who they don't know. But what is that? First of all, tell me about that conversation. When a 16 year old starts that point, we know, and it's coming for you guys. We know that they're going to be exposed and might even be interested in trying it. By the way, I think that one of the the easiest ways to to get your kids to um, delay cannabis use is to to talk a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, more, yeah, more, that's so more true. They think that this that's is cool you know, for parents. Yeah, the best thing that mom like loves it, and and dad, you know, it's like it really takes it takes the cool factor out. But what I what I've said to my kids, and you know, it's easier to say it when they're this young and then at sixteen, is you have your whole life ahead of you to use a lot of cannabis. I'm going to be a great contact for you. I have great contacts to great cannabis, but 
it can wait. Just let, you need every brain cell you can get. Trust me. <laughs> I know our genetics. We need them all. <laughs> Weed can wait. Weed can wait. Just a couple more years, let yourself develop um, and then go crazy and have fun and do it in a safe way. But right now, and it's, it's a very, it's, um, there's just real risks associated. They're not incredibly dangerous risks. It's not, I don't want to scare them so that if they did try it, that they're then, you know, afraid to tell me or think they have to go to the hospital or something. Because when you start lying to your kids, when you start exaggerating things and it doesn't match reality, then they stop trusting you right away. Um, and that's kind of a, a death kill to, to that conversation. And so is not talking about it. Cause let me remind the listeners your kids are probably smarter than you are. And they pro if you're using cannabis on a regular basis, they know something is up. So to not to pretend that there's nothing up, that it doesn't exist, is a really, it's, it's like a poison that you put into this relationship that when the kids want to trust you the most. So it really is important to find ways to be honest, even within a, in, in certain boundaries. Um, but but yet yeah, the way I would tell my kid is is to um is to just wait. Now, if they can't, I would love to hear Danielle's response to um. You know, the, the question of uh, do you secure your kids cannabis? I mean, really educating them about the dangers of of getting cannabis on the unregulated markets, the value of tested cannabis. Yeah, I'd love to hear that conversation because in some ways it's inevitable, right? Like, I mean, when I was in high school, I, I tried cannabis. It wasn't as big a thing as like drinking, but, you know, we were drinking and I don't remember ever having this conversation with my parents about about any of this stuff. Um, and so I sort of was on my own figuring it out. I mean, I know my parents obviously said never drink and drive, and but they were pretty laid back seem like about that stuff, maybe because they trust they knew that I was just neurotic enough to never really become overindulging it. Right. But yeah, what do you tell them, Danielle? Like what do you tell kids who you know are now trying it, like as far as like the illicit market? I mean, there's so many topics to cover here. But you know, if you know they're gonna do it, then what might you say? Well, I mean, so there are a lot of topics to cover here. I would, you know, first agree with Rabbi James that talking about delaying is is very helpful. We do know that before the age of 25, the prefrontal cortex in particular is still very much under construction, right? And that um, kids can be more predisposed to addiction, for instance, during uh, if, if they're exposed to things like cannabis in those early years. So I do think that um, talking about delaying is, is really helpful, but I, I'm a proponent of harm reduction. And that means that even when it comes to teens, we talk about here are ways to consume more, more healthfully, more safely, Right. You know, I, my preference would be that you delay. My preference would be that, you know, you not consume when, when you're in your teens, for instance. But here are here's what you need to know if you're going to consume or if you're going to be exposed. So there I would say hot smoke is not good for developing brains. And so if there are alternative ways um, to consume, that would be better. Vaping is something we don't know much about yet. Still, it's long term effects in the lungs. And I would definitely discourage it. And that's a very popular mode of consumption at that age range because of how discreet it is and how easy they are to get a hold of. But I, I would really say the science is not clear about vaping and your lung health. But the science is pretty clear that, you know, that low-dose edibles are safer and tolerated for most people. Again, delay if you're young, if possible, but lower dose edibles, things, you know, that are, again, secured in the legal marketplace that are tested and clean are going to be safer. Just like we would talk to our kids about alcohol exposure. We don't want them to be drinking underage, but we know they probably will, right? So, you know, that we, we, we want them to know the safety 
around alcohol. We want them to understand what an, what a dose of alcohol is and what a dose of cannabis is. I want them to understand that 100 milligrams is not a good edible to start with, but a two and a half milligram edible might be more appropriate. So, you know, it's and it's complex. And in terms of supplying it for your own children, I cannot make any recommendations. I just feel like that is such a, it's such an individual choice. And when I get there, I will cross that bridge myself and I don't know where I'm going to end up on it, to be honest. So I certainly don't judge people in either direction. A harm reduction theory would would really encourage um, a parent to to offer clean edibles. Look, I really think dosage is key. I mean, some of the the dosing on the unregulated market, first of all, it's not accurate. But you have you have edibles that are hundred milligram edibles, and and maybe a sophisticated cannabis consumer would know to to break it into twenty different bites and and nibble on it, wait an hour, and then to nibble on it again. But these kids don't know anything. Um, and else you tell them. So that's critical. And that, that certainly would, it would weigh heavily if, you know, if, if, if I thought my kid was not making the right choices, trying to get, get them access to, uh, to clean, properly dosed, properly tested cannabis. But yeah, it's a bridge we'll have to cross. Yeah, it's a bridge we'll have to cross. And, and I know you're not endorsing ever you know, giving kids cannabis before the age well, of 21. Only, only in the, in the most severe circumstances. I mean, I've been working in, in, in the medical industry, uh, for 10 years and I've had 10 years experience of, of every, uh, a six month old, I think is the, is the youngest um, infant that I've seen a benefit from cannabis. But, um, just last week I got a, a letter from a mom who's this two and a half year old was diagnosed with intractable epilepsy back in December and had gone through almost six months of, of, daily seizures, had not had a single seizure-free day, some days over a hundred. And then she tried a product, uh, a CBD product out of DC that we make. And this was day 18. This was a week or two ago. So hopefully it's 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 even beyond that. But day 18 of no seizures. So, I mean, there, there are certain circumstances where the potential benefits outweigh the the risks without a doubt. And I have no judgment. Yeah. And I, you know, these, it's two different topics because there's one, you're talking about medicinal use. You're talking about really helping children with ailments or no other drugs have helped. Or if you just don't want to do conventional drugs and you feel like these drugs, the plant of cannabis, you know, you want to try cannabis, but would you recommend in that situation that parents at least consult with a, a doctor or somebody who has an expertise in cannabis? It's a must. It's a must. They must go through their physicians. It's really, there's a, there's a community of, if your physician's not open to it, um, there are other physicians that are open, you know, Google, um, there's families, there's moms out there um, uh, and dads of kids who have, have different ailments that are, that are treating it with cannabis, uh, treating different symptoms with cannabis. You can find them or reach out to your local dispensaries and they'll help too. Don't try to just dosing this alone, especially that would not not be recommended. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk to each of you about overcoming the societal stigmas in your own life because you both have taken unconventional approaches or or uh, to to talking about cannabis. Uh, we'll start with you, Rabbi James. We, so we mentioned that you're. I guess you grew up in a family that that owned a dispensary in the D.C. area, and your father was a rabbi. Not when I was growing up. Okay, when you were when you were older. We had a big. Uh, we had a great bumper sticker bumper sticker on our car that said "Hugs, not drugs." And my mom, my mom was a, uh, first she was a sex educator. Uh, and then she was a, worked at a, as a nurse at a drug rehab facility. We were not a cannabis friendly household in any means, by any means. Uh, my dad was a rabbi at, a, at the synagogue in the community. So that, that was my work. Yeah. So what changed? What changed? Family. My grandfather uh, was, I think, 35 
when he was diagnosed with MS. By the time he was 40, by the time he was my age, he was bedbound. I mean, really paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, he had an extreme form of severe MS, uh, suffered greatly, and he tried everything to find relief. I mean, when I say everything, at one point during the 70s, he injected snake venom because that's what they thought was helping. He became addicted to opiates at one point. He It was brutal. But uh, at one point, um, an aide of his offered him cannabis and she had done so before. Uh, he was a, a real, he would call himself a, a man's man. Uh, you know, he was a, a, a veteran and um, a buttoned up shirt, didn't like long hairs. <laughs> That's what he would call them. Uh, my mom's boyfriends. And uh, yeah, he identified cannabis with hippies and he didn't want any part of it. So it took, the guy was willing to inject snake venom before he was willing to take off off of a joint, if that tells you anything. But when he finally took that puff, when he became desperate enough and chronic pain will do it to you, when he took a puff off a joint, he experienced a relief that he had not felt in years. Um, his neuropathy, that kind of pins and needles sensation that, that folks with MS and others uh, get, uh, went away. His spasticity issues, his shakiness uh, um, settled, and he was able to sleep and eat. But it was just, it was so night and day that it, it radically transformed my entire family. And we became the guy needed cannabis. Like we grandpa needs our help. In fact, he was the first person to ever ask me to get him pot. <laughs> he started it all. Our family's history of drug dealing. My grandmother was in the kitchen, hiding, smoking a cigarette. And my grandfather called me over. I think I was 14 or something. And he asked me if I could get him pot. And I, it took me a couple of years, but I did. And my whole family ended up, it stopped being a secret after a point and it really benefited him. So, so the, unfortunately he lived in States where it wasn't available. So we really fought. We were part of this kind of fight, largely led by families of other folks who were sick or people who were suffering themselves to get access to medical cannabis. For me, it's become an issue of it's become an issue of justice, uh, something that I think should be spoken about at every pulpit in every church and every synagogue and every mosque. This is a, an issue not just of de-stressing after a tough work day, but of life and death for some folks, uh, quality of life. We just had 110,000 people overdose on opiates this past year. It's an epidemic. We know that cannabis helps reduce opiate-related prescriptions and reduces opiate overdoses by, by the nature of less people taking opiates and, and getting addicted. We don't have a great substitute in this country in between Tylenol and OxyContin. So if the pain isn't met by Tylenol or ibuprofen, you often get a Percocet. And for some of us, that's not a big deal. For others, they try that Percocet and it's a life-changing experience that they never, that's what they want. That's where they feel peace and calm. And that's a, we got to, we got to figure out how to reduce the number of opiate related scripts and cannabis is one of the answers. Danielle, similar question for you. So you, you have this book now called Weed Mom. So you've really like come out of the closet and in a lot of ways, that's very stigmatizing, right? So now you will forever be associated with weed. And I don't mean, and I mean that in a good way, but I'm sure making that decision to put yourself out there was something that you maybe had some reservations about at first. Like what made you decide to be so public about your consumption in a way and also framing it in a way that might be controversial to a lot of people? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
I mean, funny enough, I'm a pretty mild mannered person and I don't like seek to like poke people and, you know, and get them uncomfortable. But I truly believe in the power of this plant to help and to heal from the medical use to, to wellness use to just, you know, pure fun and relaxation. I think there are so many ways that this plant could benefit and enhance the lives of women and moms and every, every adult really, I think, but okay, maybe not every, but most. <laughs> So you have to be willing to put yourself out there, I guess, if you want to, if you want to leave that in that message. And I do. And I came to it from a place of skepticism. Initially, I tell the story in my book about how I, I really did not understand cannabis as a wellness tool. I did not appreciate that my husband used it a lot. And I saw him, you know, honestly, I saw him leaning on it. This is a result of prohibition. He didn't have any information about how to use cannabis as medicine, right? He didn't, um, you know, he, he, he didn't have a way to get clean legal tested cannabis. And so he was leaning on it in a way that wasn't very healthy or adaptive for him. And so I had some misconceptions about it. When I started learning about cannabis, kind of from this intellectual perspective as a writer and started to interview women and lot, I mean, lots of people, but especially women who had benefited so much from the plant, I realized there was much more to it than I had been taught and that I had observed. And so, you know, I took this little careful foray into the legal marketplace. I and mean, it's not that it, that was my first time with cannabis. I had certainly tried before, but it didn't make sense to me. It had no rhyme or reason. I didn't get it. And so with the legal marketplace, able to, you know, able to really calibrate my experience much better, I realized that this is a humongous wellness tool and something that is like Rabbi James said, is a true social justice issue. Something that is, this is an unjust law and we have a a responsibility as well as a right, I think, to, to work against it. And so I see it as almost an act of civil disobedience because it's unjust, you know, to, to consume cannabis and to talk about it and to talk about the fact that I'm a mom and, and, and I use cannabis. Well, I'm so glad that you're both talking about it as moms, as dads, as the cannabis executives as, as authors, it's it's so important to get your voice out there. So thank you so much. I want to give you one other opportunity to get your voice out there. If people want to pick up a copy of Weed Mom, what should they do? Just go to Amazon. How, what's the best way, Danielle? They can get it on Amazon. They can also ask their local bookstore to carry it or to order them a copy. That's always a great way to just support local business and authors too. And Rabbi James, if they want to find out more about your company and the products, the brands that are under in your company, what should they do? Yeah, well, my company is Holistic Industries. Um, we are, we do business. Our, our retail stores are called Liberty Cannabis. And if you're a mom out there or a parent or, or anyone who's interested in trying cannabis but don't know where to start, start low. Low-dose cannabis and go slow. Uh, we happen to make a product called Dewdrops, which is a micro-dose product. I'd recommend starting with Dewdrops. I think it's a phenomenal product and it will um, allow you to stay functional um, and clear-headed. I know a lot of moms and dads and professionals just need clear heads during the day and are afraid of cannabis um, somehow losing control. Um, so I think that that we need to educate folks. That is really an issue of dosing and education. But you can visit libertycannabis.com, holisticindustries.com. You can find me on Instagram at Rabbi Cannabis, uh, K-A-H-N-A-B-I-S. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me around. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank both so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been really informative and helpful. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for all you do. And Danielle, such an honor, privilege. I thought it was gutsy to, to, to be a rabbi and to stand up and say, I, I, I believe in, in cannabis. Uh, saying your weed mom is just, uh, it's awesome. And you're a role, a role model for me. You both, you both are, are pushing us forward in really positive ways. So thank you both. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. 
To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com for the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business, all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast. Would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.